I'm J.P. Tuesday. And I'm Kiki Cannon. As lifelong Disney fans, the work of countless talented Disney creatives have shaped our lives. Now, as the Disney catalog expands, we're taking a journey through film and television to discover if that spark that shaped us as children lives on in adulthood. Does your favorite Disney media still cast that same spell? Join us as we find out. We are Rewatching the Magic. Okay, enough of that. We are not doing the entire podcast like that. <laughs> oh, yes, it is the holiday season. And what better way to celebrate the holidays than a holiday tradition of watching Charlie Brown at Christmas time? But Disney does not own that. <laughs> A Charlie Brown Christmas is currently uh, owned by Apple TV. So the only way to watch the Charlie Brown Christmas classic is to be on this to subscribe to that service. And Apple- nobody does that. Yeah, from what I, I don't know anyone who subscribes to Apple TV. But uh, Apple has the rights to all of the Charlie Brown specials and movies and even are producing brand new Charlie Brown cartoons. They own it all except for one. And that is the one we are talking about. That is the Peanuts movie from 2015 that was produced by 20th Century Fox and Blue Sky Studios. Uh, yeah, this is our first official dive into Blue Sky Studios. We did talk about Nimona earlier this year, which was supposed to be a Blue Sky Studios film, but was uh, moved away from that when Disney shut down that studio. But it's, uh, yeah, we're finally getting into Blue Sky Studios proper with uh, with this movie. And uh, Kiki, uh, as, we, as you mentioned last week, this is the first time you've ever seen this movie. Yeah, I didn't I didn't watch it when it came out. Um I don't remember why. I was a Peanuts fan growing up as I assume everyone on the planet was. You know, Charlie Brown Christmas is a tradi- I mean, it's for a lot of people, you know, those Christmas specials, Charlie Brown Christmas, The Grinch, Santa Claus is coming to town, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and a bunch of more more and more but and a bunch more you know it's not christmas until you're watching those specials and at least for me yeah just not christmas it's not officially christmas until you're watching those so you know getting a little bit into the holiday season by watching this movie and it makes sense because two-thirds of this movie takes place during winter yeah no i mean i was a peanuts fan as in i had collections of peanuts strips Mm. that i read constantly as a kid awesome so yeah i I wasn't talking about like i just watched charlie brown at christmas i mean you know i i read the schultz you know oeuvre as it were. It feels like the people who made this movie did as well because there are so many references to not just the classic specials, but like jokes that were only in the strips. Yeah, 
there are a lot of little blink and you'll miss it things that as someone who did kind of obsessively read compilations of the strips as a kid, I was like, oh, okay, that's that's where we're going with this. <laughs> I mean, there's some obvious ones. The World War One flying ace. I got kissed by a dog. I got dog germs. And then you get like, like the colorized... two frames of Spike. Yeah. It, that was the one that I was like, wait, wait, wait a minute, what? <laughs> I mean, there's that one one scene towards the end uh, during the end credits where you see Snoopy's entire family. Yeah. But. And, or, you know, or at least some of them. I'm not even sure that was Snoopy's entire family, to be honest. Probably not. And um, the one of the most deep cut references is there's the scene where Charlie Brown is wearing a red shirt while he's doing the book report. And he spills ink on his hands and he rubs it on and he wipes them off on his shirt and it makes the pattern as a nice nod to the original colorized version of those strips, which had Charlie Brown in a red shirt, not in a yellow shirt. Yeah. So, like, the people who made this movie knew their stuff. And, like, there's a, there was a lot of love and care made into it. And that was a lot of people's worry going into this movie, that it was going to be CG and not hand-drawn and that it was going to fall into the tropes of other CG movies of the time of using pop music and, you know, going away from the core values of the original source material to make it hip and trendy for the kids. And yes, there is a pop song in here, but it's not that out of place since it is played at a school dance. Other than that, it doesn't go away from a lot of the core values and the core themes of the Peanuts franchise. And I got to give them credit for that. So in this movie, obviously, uh, another thing that they've kept from the classic uh, shorts, the classic specials, is keeping the main cast being children. Which, you know, usually means it's never the same character, uh, never never the same actors playing these characters twice since they tend to age out between specials, between movies. Uh, so at least again, at least they're keeping the tradition of having children play the characters for better or worse, because there are some specials that have great voice direction that they actually get the 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 the. Um, the performance you need out of these kids. And then there are some specials that are like, wow, they did not give these kids any direction at all. Just wooden acting, obviously reading off a script kind of performances. But for this one, they actually gave these kids an actual direction. And, you know, these kids actually are acting and I give them credit for that. And they sound like how they're supposed to sound, with the exception of one, which we talked about off mic. Uh, Did you want to mention that? Yeah, all the kids sound, like, age-appropriate. They sound kind of between, like, 8 and 12 or whatever. I don't really know how old the actors were when they were, you know, recording this. And then, weirdly, Peppermint Patty sounds like an adult trying to do a kid voice. 
And again, I don't know the ages of any of the actors because like most Charlie Brown things, they just find kids. And some of them like, you know, Fergie go on to be like major stars later on in life. And then most of them just go on to be like, you know, either like a lot of kid actors, they grow up and they go, I don't want to be an actor. Um, Or they're just, you know, like most actors, they're workaday actors and they're not really big stars. Um, But, you know, so I don't really know the context for anything. I don't know if they like cast an actor and then like her voice changed during the recording process or like she was a bit older than the rest of the cast or what. Or if it was, they couldn't find, like, a kid they thought could do Peppermint Patty, so they just cast an adult and thought, eh, it'll be fine. I don't know. But it is the one thing that just sounds kind of off in the movie. The rest of the kids sound age-appropriate for Charlie Brown characters, and then for some reason, whoever is playing Peppermint Patty sounds a little too old for the group. Also, the bold choice to have both patties in this movie. Because there's a peppermint patty, and then there's a girl just named Patty. Uh, yeah, that was that was also interesting to me that they had Patty and Peppermint Patty. Yeah, that like like people who may not be familiar with these characters will hear, hey Patty, and then there's this blonde girl in a green dress, and then there's Peppermint Patty. With the red hair and the freckles. Again, bold choice. (laughs) The cool thing is I like how many of the characters got worked in, whether or not it was in the background or, you know, speaking roles. Yeah. Um, Because they really did put a lot of the, the characters. Um. And so if you're a big Peanuts fan, even if they don't have a lot of screen time, if you're familiar with um, the the comic strip, you're like, oh, wow, that's that's interesting that they're in there, you know? Like the amount of screen time they give Pigpen in this movie. Well, I think that everybody just kind of likes Pigpen just as a concept, mm-hmm. you know? So I like that he's in there a lot. Um, the fact that, like, they work, like, really obscure characters, like, the fact that Shermie is in here, I was like, why is... Shermie in in here. Um, But I guess if you're going to put the other Patty in here, Shermie, I guess, too, you know? Yeah. Um, Because, I mean, he's got that, he's got some of the, the more iconic lines in some of the older specials. It's some of those, it's one of those things of like, I'm not even sure they mentioned his name. In the movie? Just in the credits. Yeah, and so if you're not, like, a really big 
fan, it's just like background kits. But if you are a fan, you're like, wait, why why is Shermie in here? You know? Yeah. Also, like really bizarre things like when we go into Snoopy's, you know, his flying ace novel that he's writing he has the love interest of Fifi and that is voiced by Kristen Chenoweth who was uh, who originated the role of Sally Brown in You're a Good Man Charlie Brown yeah I mean that's one of the I think that may have been the first thing I ever saw Kristen Chenoweth in as far as her her performance on the Tonys. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that was, I think that was her role right before she got Wicked. Uh, yeah, uh, 1999. So not originating, but it was part of the 99 revival. Yeah. Um, so that was how I first saw her and I was like oh this this chick is awesome and then she did Wicked and then everybody knew who she was you know mm-hmm. um, but I love that little nod you know because a lot of the the modern fans would or at least like I guess the parents of the kids watching Mm-hmm. Um, which would be, you know, like our age, would really connect her with Charlie Brown, you know, because we have her singing, you know, new philosophy and stuff in our heads. Um, so I like that that kind of connection as well. I like that they brought in a new trombonist to do the adult voices mm-hmm. quote unquote you know yeah and that turned out really well also uh, in keeping with the classic specials they kept the music to be that that jazzy style they didn't update it. They didn't try to make it poppy. A lot of the classic Peanuts songs that you would associate with Charlie Brown are in the movie, like Linus and Lucy, Christmas Time is Here, the little skating thing. They're in the movie, and the rest of the soundtrack is built around that to keep that style. Yeah, and the... um. The score in this was done by Christoph Beck, who is just incredible. And I mean, we've we've talked about him before because he worked on uh, the Muppets Mm. in 2011. Um, And I mean, we've talked about other other things he he worked on uh, here and there um, because he uh, he's worked on. Uh, some MCU stuff and you know lots of stuff for Disney but uh, the 
him him doing the the music for this and bringing in that same vibe really worked well yeah and one more actor i want to say before we kind of go from that bill melendez uh for those of you who don't know who bill melendez is bill melendez is an animator who worked for disney he worked for warner brothers he worked on like pinocchio and fantasia and dumbo and bambi he also worked on a lot of the classic looney tunes shorts from back in the day but he also was the animation director the director period of all of the classic charlie brown specials charlie brown christmas thanksgiving great pumpkin you name it he was the guy that what that charles schultz chose to do those cartoons he even was the director of the first four uh theatrical movies boy named charlie brown snoopy come home race for your life and bon voyage he also did the voice of snoopy in every single charlie brown cartoon bar one which was the television adaptation of you're a good man charlie brown because snoopy actually talks and snoopy actually talks and sings in that and melendez is a singer so with the exception of one bill melendez has done the voice of snoopy and woodstock in every classic charlie brown cartoon bill melendez passed away in 2008 this movie is in 2013 so they did not want to recast Snoopy. He was so, he so, his voice is so iconic as Snoopy that they went back and reused archive footage, archive audio of Bill Melendez as Snoopy for this movie. Imagine being so associated with a character that even after death they did not want to recast you. Yeah, it is amazing that they did that, and I'm glad that they were able to put together the entire movie from previous recordings of him. And they still do it today. The The Apple TV cartoons still use Bill Melendez's audio for Snoopy. Yeah, and, and of course, also Woodstock. Yeah. I mean, we we have to mention that he's he's Woodstock, and of course, all the permutations, the uh, variants, if you will, <laughs> of Snoopy and Woodstock as well. All their family um, members. <laughs> yeah, all the all the other little birds, and you know, <laughs> Snoopy's Snoopy's uh, siblings and random family members, and you know. So yeah, I mean, imagine you're you're so associated with that character that you know. The, I mean, yeah, I mean, it says a lot that you're so associated with a certain character that we'll just reuse old audio of you rather than recast you. You're that attached to this character. I got to admit, I'm really impressed that they were able to get the rights 
for all all that stuff. Yeah. Because I think that at the time the rights were still split. So I think that just like now this movie is owned by Disney and the other movies and Charlie Brown kind of in general seems to be owned by Apple. Um, I think at the time this was made and please correct me if I'm wrong, I don't want to do misinformation, but I'm pretty sure that it was split rights as well. And the fact that they were able to get so many uh, things like the rights to Melendez's voice and those recordings, the fact that they were able to get the rights to a lot of the music, a lot of the um, like shout outs to certain things, that dance, the dances from the. Your dances from Charlie Brown Christmas. We see yeah, them. The, we see them in the the school dance, the winter dance, and sometimes I wonder, like, do animation loops have copyrights on them? I've no, never I... known that, but some of those things are so iconic, like those little dance loops and stuff. Mm-hmm. That I wonder if, like, those things are maybe under copyright or something, you know? I, I don't no. know. But they use those, you know, if you're a fan of those dance sequences in um, in the Charlie Brown Christmas special, they are used in this. And that that shocked me, too. Yeah, honestly, as we found doing this podcast, trying to track who owns the rights to things at any given time is an absolute nightmare. Yeah, that's into that that's that's this entire podcast in a nutshell. Anything that's not pure Disney. Yeah, um so, you know, if you ever take issue with like, well, actually it might not be perfectly under the contract of, you know, whatever, according to the shadow proclamation of, you know, what we're just doing the best we can. You know, you have no idea how difficult it is to keep track of any of this at any given moment. I think the only people who know for sure are the weird shadowy demon lawyers that work for Disney yeah. at this point, And I'm not even sure they know for sure. Yeah, um, the director of this movie was Steve Martino, who already was working with Blue Sky at the time he did the animation for Horton Hears a Who and Ice Age Continental Drift. Uh, he worked on other movies um, like uh, Robots with Robin Williams. Ice Age The Meltdown, he was also, uh, he did some work for Spice in Disguise. So he did a lot of work for 20th Century Fox Animation and Blue Sky Studios. And especially if you go with the fact that he did Horton Hears a Who, he was able to take those, you know, regardless of how you feel about that movie, he was able to take those classic Dr. Seuss uh, drawings and at least 
modernize them enough so they could work in CG animation. And he kind of does that here, but the beauty of it is a lot of it is unchanged. Like, and, and, and the mix of 2D and 3D in this movie. Like, the kids are all CG animation with individual hair strands and all that, but their eyes and mouth are all 2D. Like, Pigpen's pig dust clouds are all 2D. The little heart shapes when Snoopy thinks of Fifi or when Charlie Brown thinks of the little red-haired girl, all 2D. And even in the animation itself, despite it being a CG animated movie, there's a lot of the old 2D animation tricks. Such as when uh, there's a scene where Fifi is spinning her wrench, and if you freeze frame it, you actually see the old 2D trick of multiple versions of the same drawing spinning around to give the illusion of movement. And they use that in this movie. So despite this, it feels like this was at one point planned to be a 2D movie, but probably changed to 3D at some point, CG. But they kept the, the 2D animation tricks, and I love them for it. And it does keep that spirit of the old specials in it. If you were going to do a 3D CGI animation of the Peanuts characters, I think this was actually the best way you could do it. Yeah. And I I really enjoyed the animation. I thought it was very beautiful. And the cell shading. I mean, again, you know, uh, th- again, despite this being a CG movie, each of the characters still has that 2D animation shading that works well. There was a lot of love and care put into this movie. There was a lot of attempts to make this look as close to the classic peanut specials as possible while still being a CG movie. And I have to give them a lot of credit for that. What this yeah, movie had, I was very impressed. Yeah. And this movie really starts with you getting into the world of Peanuts. Because the 20th Century Fox fanfare is Schroeder on the piano. Yeah, I love Schroeder playing that Fox fanfare. Like it look, you know, you it starts with you know you you get that drums you get, but once the the melody kicks in, and the 20th Century Fox logo is in full, you pan over and it's a piano version, and it's Schroeder. You see Schroeder right on the on the 20th Century Fox logo, and I it, it's it was it, it was it was it was cute and it, it works. It's it's giving you right into the world of Peanuts right then and there. And opening up with the black and white style drawing of the classic of the classic uh, strips before it fades into the color CG. You know, it's like we are going from this from the world of the classic comics into this into this 3D world. And and, and I liked it. I like the uh, the intro here. I do like the um the way that they keep cutting back though to the 
comic strip style when like Charlie Brown is thinking and there's a thought bubble and his thought bubbles are comic strips. Yeah. I love that. It's beautiful. No notes. Whoever came up with that. I I hope they got a massive bonus. I know they didn't. I hope they got a promotion. I know they didn't. Well, this 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 the this, this studio no longer exists, so you know you can fill in the gaps. But there. but you know what I mean. Like yeah, <laughs> they they deserved all the accolades, and I'm sure they didn't get what they deserved. <laughs> this movie has two plots, and is our now the two plots do convene at at various points, but there are two plots. The main plot is Charlie Brown trying to work up the courage to talk to the little red-haired girl. And the second plot, as Kiki had mentioned, is Snoopy writing a novel about his World War I fighting ace character. That in, in this context, in the context of this movie, the Red Baron storyline is inspired by Linus bringing in a model plane of the Red Baron's plane and it escaping and Snoopy seeing it flying through the air and he gets the idea of what if I were a World War I flying ace and going up against the Red Baron and, you know. I like that they have like a reason for Snoopy to go into these flights of fancy. His little fantasy world. Yeah, in this one. I mean, in past movies, they've been dream sequences or just the plot stops so Snoopy can have a fantasy. But to have a narrative reason why Snoopy goes into these fantasy worlds is a plus, especially we get the origin of the typewriter. Because <laughs> Snoopy goes, he tries to go to school and he gets kicked out and he gets into, he lands into a dumpster and someone has thrown out this typewriter. Which he takes home and decides, I'm going to write a novel. And he's making Lucy read it uh, as he's writing it, which is where the audience gets the narration from. Mm -hmm. Since Snoopy can't narrate it himself. Of course, in the in the comic strip, you know, for those who don't follow the, the comics and just watch the, the specials um, in the comic strip, you always see what Snoopy is writing. So you get the text of what Snoopy is typing. Or thought bubbles of what he's thinking. Or thought bubbles of what he's thinking. But when he d does these, like, you know, Snoopy at his typewriter, you get the context of what he's typing. So when he has these fantasies of you know, fighting the Red Baron or whatever, and he's writing a novel about it. You would get to see the kind of third-person omniscient narration of the novel typed out in text bubbles. Mm -hmm. So 
you really need a narrator or it's going to be a lot of text on the screen, but this is a movie for like seven year olds. Mm -hmm. Seven year olds aren't going to do a lot of reading. So you have to have somebody read it out loud to them. So I like the idea that like Lucy comes along and she's like, Hey, stupid dog, what are you doing? And he keeps handing her pages and she keeps reading them out loud. Really, there was only two choices based on Snoopy itself. It's either going to be Lucy or Charlie. Yeah, and Charlie Brown's already got his A plot, you know. Yeah. Um, and I do like how the story, as Charlie is going through this this winter into spring, into summer, how those events shape Snoopy story. Yeah, like, they are parallel stories. You know, Snoopy meets a little red-haired girl and starts having a crush on her. Snoopy decides, I'm going to add a love interest to my story. Yeah. I think the thing that, that if there was anything that really annoyed, like, the hardcore fans... Was how much they showed of the little red-haired girl and the fact that they gave her, like, dialogue and stuff. A voice, yeah, because normally you don't see the little red-haired girl. Charles Schultz never drew the little red-haired girl. I mean, yeah, she has shown up before in... um Some of the specials. Yeah, in some of the specials. But she doesn't show up in the comics. It's always just... She's off screen, off panel. Char- yeah, Charlie Brown um, being like, oh, I, I love her so much. You know, they don't even give her a name in the the strip. Some of the some of the specials uh, have given her a name. Heather. Yeah, Heather Heather Wold is the name given in some of the specials. But the um, this movie does not give her a name, uh, which I like. Uh, but. I I understand how difficult it is to do that idea in a motion picture, you know? Yeah. You need to have something. I mean, the idea of never showing her face can work in a movie, but she needs dialogue. She needs to say something. And they do a lot with not showing her face for most of the movie in this. She's either from the back or her face is obscured some kind of way or in profile from far away. You don't actually see the little red haired girl's face full on until Charlie decides to actually muster up the courage to talk to her. Yeah. Um, And you don't really hear a lot of her voice. She says one or two things. But you don't really hear, like, a good chunk of dialogue from her until the big speech at the end. Where she kind of goes, okay, children, sit down while I explain the 
you know, the characterization the of Charlie Brown. <laughs> yeah, let me let me give you the the ethical core of the movie here at the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Like if a if a long-term fan is going to get really mad at this movie, that's going to be the big thing. And then one of the minor things to get mad at is that Peppermint Patty understands at one point that Snoopy is a dog. Oh, yeah, yeah. I was going to mention that because that's that's another one of those long running gags is that Patty just uh, Peppermint Patty. Excuse me. Got to I got to specify. <laughs> yeah, since we've got both. Peppermint Patty's the long running gag being that she thinks Snoopy is just a weird looking kid with a large nose, which she does say during the school dance. When that, Snoopy is dressed up as Joe Cole. Yeah. That's when all, when he's doing his chicken boo <laughs> thing. But later in the movie, he's playing out the novel as the World War One flying ace. He's gotten so into his own fantasy. He's playing it out in the real world and he's bothering all of the kids. And then Patty just uh, Peppermint Patty just calls Charlie Brown and says, hey, Chuck, your dog is doing weird things outside my window. Yeah, but the the thing. This is one of those like not to be gatekeepy or anything. But some people forget that later on in the strip. It's kind of like the the people who missed the episode of Sesame Street where they finally uh, introduced Snuffleupagus to the adults. Mm. Like, there was a point in the comic where Marcy, it, it, like, sat Peppermint Patty down and was like, that is a dog. Darling, I love you, but that that's not a kid with a big nose. That is a dog. <laughs> that is Charlie Brown's dog. His name is Snoopy. <laughs> okay. But like there there was a point in the strip where Schultz was like, "Okay, we're ending this gag." This this gag isn't funny anymore. Yeah, and so there is a point in the strip where Peppermint Patty understands Snoopy is a dog. Um and I'm not sure like how much some of the other, like some of the later specials and stuff. Cause there is a point where I stopped keeping up with the specials. I think um, it comes to the point where if he's just Snoopy, then Peppermint Patty will realize it's a dog. But if he's wearing one of his disguises, she will fall for the disguise, even though no one else is. Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, Roger and American dad or something, you know, Pretty it's much. like, yeah, it's like, you know, if 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 there's a disguise going on and he's trying to look kind of human, then it'll work on Peppermint Patty. And, you know, if not, it'll be like, oh, yeah, that's Charlie Brown's dog. That's Chuck's dog, you know. Um, But so it's one of those things of like a lot of people missed that development that. So I do like that it. It does pay homage to both of those parts of her personality Mm. like when he's dressed up as joe cool she's like oh hey that's a weird kid with a big nose and when he shows up outside her window and he's just 
a dog, she's like, hey, Chuck, come get your dog, <laughs> you know? And I was like, okay, well, it at least understands that both of those things happened in the context of the strip. Mm-hmm. Like that, that is just two sides of peppermint patty. Also, I love that pepper that they they did keep going with that peppermint patty is the the type of gal that will wear sandals in heavy snowdrift. Because <laughs> there's do, always that one, you know. Yeah, and they do keep up that they do keep up. Uh, peppermint patty's little crush on chuck like oh you're holding my hand chuck Ooh. yeah i i will say there was one thing that really has nothing to do with peanuts it starts out with all the kids being like it's a snow day snow day yay and i'm like Man, we have nothing like a snow day in the South. <laughs> like, if we have a weather-related school cancellation, some shiz is going down. Like, the mildest version of a snow day down here is, and this only happens if you live in the rural areas. This does not happen if you live in a, even like a moderately decent city, okay? But I I live in a pretty rural area still. So growing up where I did, we would occasionally get a rain out day. And what that meant was that the rain was so heavy, it would rain out the dirt roads in the more country parts of the county outside the city limits Mm -hmm. and so the kids that had to come in from the dirt roads couldn't leave their houses because the roads to their houses were washed out and they couldn't make it to either a bus stop or you know whatever because the dirt roads that led to their their house or their trailer or whatever was completely washed out and it was too dangerous for them to walk or drive that was the closest thing we had to a snow day but you also couldn't go out in that so it's not like you'd be like yay snow day everybody grab your sled and go out and like have fun and make snowmen and stuff Because you were stuck in the house because it was pouring rain. Like the whole area was flooded. You literally can't leave your house. So nobody wanted a rain out day because like, yeah, you didn't have to go to school, but also you could not leave your house. Like anything else was going to be like, well, we shut down because of hurricanes or whatever and everything. Now, sometimes we did get a legitimate snow day, which was any amount of snow precipitation would shut down the entire area. And I know that, like, where you live, you would make fun of us for that. Because, like, even less than an inch will shut down everything here. 
But as I have explained to you before, we do not have the ability to make the roads safe. And no one where I live has like all weather tires or chains or salt or, you know, we don't have. Yeah, snow is so rare in your neck of the woods that it's not even worth having all of that equipment on hand 365. Yeah. So, like, we don't, like, my county does not, like, even in, because I live in Georgia, so even in Atlanta, the Atlanta area, and I'm talking about the greater Atlanta area, owns, last I heard, they own one snowplow for multiple counties to use. So if it snows in Atlanta, they own one snowplow for multiple counties. Mm -hmm. So one snowplow has to clear all of Atlanta, metro Atlanta, (laughs) and the surrounding area, which is why everything gets shut down, because it happens so rarely. Why would you keep a fleet of snowplows or salt trucks for, like, a once-every-five-years event? Unlike in the Midwest, where I am and where Charles Schultz grew up, where you do need a fleet of snow plows and salt trucks because that is an annual occurrence. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're going once winter starts. I mean, I lived in Chicago for a while, so I understand it. You know, once winter starts, you're going to be needing those trucks once every couple of weeks. You know, like it's it's fine. But once again, if there was a legitimate snow day here, We also didn't get to, like, go outside and play in the snow or anything because it doesn't accumulate enough for there to be, you know, sledding or making a snowman or, you know, yeah, we've got a lot of lakes and stuff, but they never freeze over. You can't go skating on them. You can't, you know, play hockey. You can't, like... So it once again it would shut everything down but you can't like leave your house and do anything. Mm-hmm. You know, there's nothing there's like no powder to play in, you know, it's like so like there is it's always funny to me to watch things like, you know, Simpsons or Peanuts or whatever where everybody's like snow day. Yay! Because there is nothing in the South that is a weather-related shutdown of anything where the kids are like, yes, we get shut down from school, and also now we get to go outside and enjoy things. If weather shuts down something in the South, it is an emergency and you are stuck inside your house. (laughs) it's like yeah you don't have to go to school but you also don't get to do anything else either it's like it's better now i guess for kids because there's like as long as the power and internet stays on you have stuff to do in your house but those were the worst days when i was growing up because you know we didn't have internet or anything so it's like yay i get to stay home and stare at a wall (laughs) (laughs) It was like the sick day where you're like, well, at least Bob Barker is on telling me to spay and neuter my pets. <laughs> like, <laughs> that's all I'm doing today. Didn't you mention like the hardcore fans? There probably is a couple of them, but I would say these are these are 
nitpicks to the extreme is number one, all of the kids are in the same class. Yeah, that was another thing that I was like, oh, okay. Like everybody except Sally. Yeah, because Sally's in kindergarten. In this movie, in the classic comic strips and even in the classic specials, Patty and Marcy and a couple of the other kids go to a different school. And in this movie, all of the kids go to the same school. The big one, at least for me, is that Linus is in the same class. But Linus is one year younger than Lucy. He shouldn't be in this class unless all of these kids got held back or Linus is really smart and skipped a grade. Yeah. Again, nitpicks. From a narrative standpoint, this makes sense. I understand this. I am just being a nitpicker. But, you know, keeping the, the, the running gag of Peppermint Patty falling asleep in class, it's a classic bit. Yeah, I I grew up being like, well, if I if I relate to anybody in this strip, I am a cross between Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty. If I, Peppermint Patty played less sports and had the luck of Charlie Brown. Mm. that's kind of where I am. It's like I wasn't really that into sports, but that that kind of personality was more me. Mm. But I had Charlie Brown's luck. So I grew up kind of... uh, kind of relating to, to Peppermint Patty. Mm. And, and I and I do in in this one too is like she's always sleeping in in class which I I always did as well, um, and uh then they discover that she um does the standardized test very quickly and then makes a really good grade on it. I mean yeah. it, a perfect grade. Yeah, and she just does it by making doodles on the on the uh, on the test sheet. Like she was just random stuff because it's like because she's not paying attention. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's one of the big uh, plot points of this of uh, of the of the movie is the standardized test, which. Uh, Charlie Brown and Peppermint Patty get their test switched. And Charlie gets the credit for having the only perfect score in the entire class. And it turns out that it's not his test. He looks at it he's like, this is not my test. This is Peppermint Patty's test. What do? And. And. It's it plays up into Charlie's whole thing of being the quote blockhead, the quote failure face, the one that everybody kind of demeans and makes fun of. But all of a sudden he gets a perfect score on the test, the only student to get a perfect score on the test. And suddenly he's Mr. Popular. 
He's Harold as a genius. He gets all of this attention and all of this popularity. And he's using this, okay, maybe I can use this newfound popularity of mine to get the little red-haired girl to notice me. But by that point in the movie, she has gone back to her hometown to take care of her sick grandmother. So she's not in the movie for a good chunk of it. So when he finally gets this award for being the only student in the school to get a perfect score on the test, he has that choice to make. Do you take this credit, keep your popularity, and possibly win over the little red-haired girl, or do you come clean? Risk it all and be an honest person, and he takes the latter. He's just saying, no, this is not my test. I didn't do this. I don't deserve this. As expected, all of the popularity is gone. All of the fame is gone. No one wants to talk to him anymore. It's kind of what we talked about last week with Edward Scissorhands. Everyone wants to hang out with Edward and have him do all of his odd jobs because he's special with these scissor hands. But if he ever had regular hands, no one would want to talk to him. And we have the same plot here with Charlie. He People want to get to know him and they're dressing like him and they're asking him for advice because they believe he is the smartest kid in the school. And then once he fesses up, says the test got switched, nobody wants to talk to him anymore. I think it's very sad because, you know, we all know that Charlie Brown just wants something to go his way. Just one thing to go right yeah. for him. I mean, the movie starts out with him on the snow day just trying to fly a kite for once in his life. Freaking kiting tree. Yeah, and of course it being um, winter, he's like, well, the, the kite-eating tree has gone into hibernation. I'm safe. I can, you know. And he's getting made fun of because, well, who tries to fly a kite in winter? It's really sad because, you know, that all culminates into he thinks it's going to be a little boy moving across the street from him and he's like oh wow maybe i can make a friend and they won't know my history and, and we get can... references so we get references to charlie brown christmas in his little thought bubble yeah the the tree <laughs> and you know and we get a lot of references to a lot of little things you know as it yeah. as it flicks by you know various th- things that have happened to him over the the years and it's so sad because he's he's like you know i just want a friend that will give me a fresh start you know and maybe can see who i am inside and then he accidentally knocks over the fence and all the other kids are like he did it and then run away and leave him there Thanks for that, everybody. You're yeah. great buddies. Yeah, great friends, great friends. He even questions it. Do these people even like me? Do they even want me around? And 
that is another that is his big plan to win over the little red haired girl is to, as Lucy says, you have to go from being a loser to a winner. And he tries so hard. Charlie tries so hard in this entire movie to turn his luck around. He tries to become, as Lucy says, a winner, even giving him a book of how to be a winner. Like, he says, okay, I can impress the little red-haired girl by winning the talent show. And he's practicing his little magic act, and it's good. It's good. It's so good that once he shows up at the talent show, everyone's turning his head and like, wait, is that Charlie Brown? Like, he's in a suit. He's got the top hat. He appears in a puff of smoke. He is, he's got this down he is ready he is going to win this talent show he's going to be popular he's going to be a winner and he'll finally get the the attention of the little red-haired girl but what happens sally tries to do her talent show of doing a cowgirl act and it's bombing so he has to make the choice and they even give it it's your sister make the call I can either lower the curtain and cut your sister's act short so you can have your magic act, or I cut your magic act to give your sister more time. And he does the big brother thing. He, he He's a good big brother. So he says, you know what, Snoopy? Change of plans. Magic act canceled. And he helps Sally with her cowgirl act by putting a sheet over himself and trying to be a cow that she can rope and then Snoopy is the horse and it's a very cute little scene and it's and it's Snoop it's 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 Charlie being a good big brother. Yeah, I I really I thought that was one of my favorite parts of the movie honestly because we see him practice so much and so much and so much but Sally is about to burst into tears on that stage and he's immediately like Come on, Snoopy, you know, we got to go help Sally. And I was like, oh, Charlie Brown, you're the best. And then and it that- even leads to him getting embarrassed again because nobody knows it's him in the, the sheet dressed up like the bull. And then as Sally is taking her bows, he falls out of the sheet and he gets his picture taken in a kind of embarrassing mid fall and it ends up on the front page of the school paper. I love that gag. Yeah, I know I'm reading the school paper and then every kid in the school's reading the news, the school paper like, well, so much for a fresh start. <laughs> yeah. And then there's the later part where the school dance is coming up. All right. That's his next plan. I'm going to, learn how to dance i'm going to dance my heart out and i'm going to become the dance king and she'll be the dance queen and we can have the big final dance reference to uh it's your first kiss charlie brown the valentine special yeah where he dances with the little red-haired girl at the end of that special so he he's learning how to dance snoopy is teaching him how to dance I do love like Snoopy saying, okay, what kind of dance move do you know how to do? And he's doing the chicken dance. Yeah, that was pretty cute. 
Especially since Snoopy was, like, doing this, like, amazingly sexy Latin dance. And then Charlie Brown's, like, chicken dance. (laughs) That's gonna get the girls. (laughs) But, yeah, he actually practices every night. I mean, it might get a gonzo. Maybe, maybe. But he's practicing every night for the dance, practicing his heart out. And it's finally the dance. He's finally in there. And, you know, everything that could go wrong is going wrong up until that point. Like, he bakes cupcakes for the dance, and Snoopy eats them all. He tries to be a good friend for Marcy by carrying the punch bowl in, and his shirt gets caught in the door, and he almost spills it. But finally, it is his turn in the little soul train line, for lack of a better term. Yes, I'm old. I mean, I immediately was like, okay, we're doing a Soul Train line. All right, fine. So, yeah, yeah, they do the Soul Train line for the girls, and the little red-haired girl wins that competition. Then they do the Soul Train line for the boys, and Charlie is the last boy to to dance, and he is so nervous. And finally, Snoopy's kind of like, you know, remember what I taught you? And he starts doing his little dance, and it's impressing everybody. And they're going, wait, Charlie Brown can dance? And it looked, and even the announcer, which I think is Linus, saying, we almost, I think we have a winner for the boys' dance competition. Only for him to slip on his own two feet, launch his shoe up into the ceiling, hitting the sprinklers. No, no, he, I, I, I gotta, I gotta, I gotta correct you. He slips on some spilled punch. Ah, that he likely spilled himself. Yeah. So he slips on the spilled punch, his shoe flies off his foot, knocks into the the sprinkler system. The sprinkler yeah. system, yeah, and it just ruins the whole dance as the sprinkler the sprinklers are going off. And Charlie so Brown it, Charlie Brown's bad luck strikes again. I love everybody evacuating, and my favorite gag of the movie, I think, which is that all the dust gets washed off of Pigpen. And I think it's Violet that's standing next to him. It's Patty. Oh, is it Patty? I thought it was Violet. It's but Blompen, uh, yeah. Yeah, but the other Patty, yeah. And and she she looks at him without the dust cloud around him, and she's like, do I know you? Because <laughs> it's just like a normal, clean kid now. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I gotta mention the other gag, because I mentioned this to you off mic. The other gag that just had me rolling in this was that we keep getting these cutaway gags during the winter to Woodstock, like, just doing wintry things in the background. Mm-hmm. And, like, it's always him with, like, little tiny bird-sized, like, winter machines so when they're out on the frozen lake at the beginning of the movie Woodstock is yeah Woodstock is just driving like a little tiny bird-sized Zamboni around the lake which I love (laughs) um and then later he's like snow blowing the edges of his nest with this like little tiny snowblower (laughs) And I don't know why that makes me laugh so much, but every time I saw one of those little cutaway gags, like, in the background as they're, like, just panning from one thing to another, 
I don't know why, but I laughed so hard. Yeah. It's like, Charlie tries so hard. He tries so hard. And it and just... And he got so far. And in the end, it doesn't even matter. <laughs> How many times are you going to make that gag in this podcast? As many as necessary. <laughs> as many as I want to. It's my podcast, too, damn it. So, yeah, we finally get to the point where, where, as I said, the little red-haired girl has gone back to her original hometown to take care of her sick grandmother. And it's book report time. It's not a book report on Peter Rabbit, and then another reference. <laughs> yeah. But it's a book report that they have to do, and each one is paired up with a partner. And Charlie Brown's partner is the little red-haired girl. And since she's not going to be in town because she's taking care of her sick grandmother, Charlie has taken upon himself to do the entire book report by himself so she won't have to worry about it. Again, so sweet. So sweet. And he decides to go for broke by, by as he says, he needs to do a book report on the greatest book ever written. And she, he decides to ask for advice from the only bookworm he knows, which is Marcy. But he asks Peppermint Patty instead, because he can't find Marcy at the time. And Peppermint Patty tells him that Marcy says the greatest book in the world is Leo's Toy Store by some guy named Warren Peace. <laughs> So he goes to the local library trying to find this book called Leo's Toy Store, and he can't find it. He can't find it. And so, so he goes into the adult section, and I love all the kids being like, is that even allowed? Not that adult, the grown-up section where the grown-up books are. Well, yeah, yeah. I mean, the the big people section. Yeah. Where he finds Marcy. Also, I, I to, to backtrack, I believe this is the first time we've ever seen Marcy without her glasses because because they're at the, the frozen lake and Marcy is practicing her shots with, with for for ice hockey. When Marcy playing the goalie and she actually takes her glasses off for a second to look at the puck as it goes through. It's a nice shot, sir. I yeah. believe that is the first time we've ever seen Marcy without her glasses on. I mean, I couldn't tell you for absolute sure, but it it, it could be. Um, so anyway, back to the library. He finally finds Marcy in the big person's, big people section of the library and asks her, where is this book that that Patty told me you like called Leo's Toy Store by War and Peace? And he goes, nope. Stop. I'm going to stop you right there. You talk to Peppermint Patty. I already know. <laughs> War and Peace by Leo Tolstoy. And I love the gag. He looks at the book. How long was this war anyway? Like everything else, Russian, so long. Mm -hmm. So very long. Yeah. Th the funny thing is, is that this is also a callback gag. Because this is not the first time that uh, Charlie Brown has had to do a uh, 
War and Peace uh, book report. Hmm. So uh, this is a callback to Happy New Year, Charlie Brown. Hmm. But uh, in in that one, he he did not get a very good grade. In this one, uh, uh, Linus reads part of it and says that Charlie Brown actually does a really great literary analysis. And in the other special, Charlie Brown apparently does a really bad job at dissecting War and Peace. First there was war, and then there was peace. The end. (laughs) Yeah, I mean... I do like, again, it's another reference, is is Charlie counting the words as he's as he's writing them because it needs to be a thousand words. Which uh, it's probably a reference to something else, but I know it as a reference to. You're a good man, Charlie Brown, with the Peter Rabbit song. Yeah, I I just thought it was kind of interesting that he's still writing a book report by hand. Yeah, with this weird old school quilt style pencil. Yeah, he's using a fountain pen. Yeah. And I'm like, wow, Charlie Brown is extremely old school with the fountain pen there. Yeah, that's where he gets the the ink on his hands. But then he, uh, the running gag in, well, not running gag, but earlier in the movie, Charlie Brown picks up the little red haired girl's pencil that she dropped. Realizing, oh, she chews her pencil like I choose my chew my pencil again. Another reference, and he uses her pencil to write the book report. So it's sort of both of them writing it because he's writing it with her pencil. On one hand, kind of creepy that he's kept this pencil, but he's also a child. I think it's just that he keeps forgetting to give it back. Because mm. when he goes to look for something else to write with, he seems surprised that it's in there still. Mm. Well, he's also he doesn't have the courage to talk to her, so he can't really give it back to her because he's too scared to talk to her. Yeah. Finally, she comes back from her for taking care of her grandmother just in time for the book report to be due oh we had a book report due and you did it all by yourself thank you that's so sweet of you and yeah he because he's so scared of you know he's so uh flustered flustered over seeing her because you know crush he ends up falling backwards throwing his book report into the air which is then shredded by the running gag of the little model plane still flying around. That must be a really strong propeller on that plane because they spun it once and it's been flying around this entire movie. Yeah, I wonder what's uh, given that propeller its juice. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, he, he, the entire book report is shredded which ultimately gets them both fail. They both fail the book report because there's no book report to to submit. Again, Charlie Brown's own luck fights against him again. And I like this because it leads directly into the big climax 
of Snoopy's novel as he balls his fist up into the air at the plane and it just shifts to the comic strip. Curse you, Red Baron! But, yeah, but I I do like what we get as our kind of, you know, Charlie Brown is, is so upset that he can't do anything right and, you know, he's messed up the book report and now him and the little redhead girl are going to fail and all that kind of stuff. And... We never find out if they do fail. Yeah, because then because it cuts straight to Christmas break and then cuts cut straight back into summertime. Yeah, I mean we skip like a whole half a year. Yeah. But um, you know we we see him try to do all these nice things for other people and you know he, he teaches that one little kid how to fly a kite. Yeah, and then he's jealous because the kid actually gets the kite to fly and he still can't. You know, the second the kid's like, hey, you want to try to fly the kite? It's already up in the air. And then it just falls out of the air. And Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, as, as summer approaches, because we skip so much, Charlie Brown finally is like, you know what? I'm going to work up the courage to just walk across the street and hand her this pencil back and say, you know, hi, and you want to hang out for the summer or whatever. And he finds out from her mom that the little redhead girl is going to a summer camp. And so he needs to get to the bus right now and tell her how he feels or, you know, by the time she comes back later in the she summer. She might have forgotten or, about him. Yeah. Or whatever. Maybe she'll have found a boyfriend at summer camp. Oh, no. Who knows? You know. But it's also the summer carnival has started. Yeah. So, you know, we have a whole, like, chase sequence of will he get there on time? And, of course, he does. But Charlie ends up stirring up a lot of attention for himself because he's running like a madman through the carnival. And so a lot of people start following him and they all end up at the bus as the little redhead girl is getting on. And he's like, oh yeah, um, your pencil. And she's like, oh, I've legit been looking for this for a year. Um, But I do like how this whole thing starts. Yeah, he just bumps his head you know he just wants something to go right for him he bumps his head on the kiting tree who drops one of his kites on there a wind picks up and just drags him to the bus stop fate itself is trying to get charlie brown and this girl together and that's what gets everyone the attention oh charlie brown finally got the kite in the air after all this time um yeah, the kite kind of wraps around him and just kind of pulls him off the ground, but everybody else is like, oh, Charlie Brown's flying a kite. Um, but anyway, you know, he makes it to the bus and he's like, Here, here's your pencil. And she's like, oh, yeah, weird that it's been missing for an entire year and now the weird kid gives it back to me. But he was like, why did you agree to be my pen pal over the summer because that's their weird little 
school project over the summer is that they have to be pen pals with somebody and she volunteered to be Charlie Brown's pen pal. And she has this whole like stand from South Park. I learned something today. Speech about Charlie Brown, which is that like everybody here calls you a loser, but you're not a loser. You're actually really cool because I've been watching you all year and I saw when you helped out your sister and I saw when you uh, helped when you stood up for Peppermint Patty and refused to take credit for her work. And I saw how sweet it was that you did the, the paper for both of us when I had to go take care of my grandma and, you know, all the other stuff he's done during the movie. And she was like, so I just figured that, like, anybody who would do that was worth knowing and, you know, should be my pen pal or whatever. And I like how all of this is bringing tears to Lucy's eyes before she realizes what she's crying about. <laughs> like, oh, that's so sweet. Wait, what am I saying? <laughs> but, yeah, red-haired girl gives him credit and actually says, yeah, I'll write to you and we'll be pen pals and then I, I'll see you when school starts again. I feel bad for little redhead girl because I hated summer camp so much and it seems like she's going away for three months. Yeah. Who knows what letters she's writing to him. Summer camp sucks, Chuck. <laughs> I feel so bad for her. I think the worst one I ever went to was like two weeks, two and a half weeks. And it looks like she's going to be gone literally all summer. <laughs> Yes, and that's kind of how Charlie's story ends. He finally got up the courage to to talk to the real red-haired girl, and everyone's kind of, yay, Charlie Brown actually did something. He actually got some courage, and Charlie's smiling, and they, his story ends with all of the kids kind of hol- holding them on their shoulders. Yay, Charlie Brown. Charlie Brown actually won something. But let's get back to our World War One Fighting A story. But, yeah, so the whole thing is Snoopy is flying around. He's fighting the Red Baron. We get the character of Fifi involved, who is this amazing dog that he that Snoopy ends up falling in love with, who is captured by the Red Baron, and he has to go and save her. It's like it's a if you take all of the World War One fighting ace segments, you probably get like a half an hour short out of this, which. Uh, not so bad. It's a pretty straightforward story before, you know, uh, yeah, Snoopy calls in the troops, all of the little, all of Woodstock and all the little birds flying in planes, going after the Red Baron to finally save Fifi. It's greatly animated. There's only so much you can talk about with a with a segment of the movie with little to no dialogue and some narration. Yeah. But it's it's beautifully animated. But yeah, Snoopy saves the day, defeats the Red Baron, and, and saves Fifi happily ever after his novel ends. It's a beautiful little story, and 
the the gag at the end is he's having as 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 you mentioned lucy is reading the novel and he looks at snoopy after she's done reading the the novel it's like a dog being a world war one flying ace that's the most ridiculous thing i've ever heard before snoopy smacks her in the head with the typewriter sorry lucy you deserve that (laughs) yeah this this special really goes all in on lucy being kind of a b yeah i feel like the strips were always kinder to her i'm not sure if they should have been mind you Mm -hmm. but it always seems that they were nicer to her yeah i mean there are moments where she is finding charlie brown to be actually smart and a decent person and a good person and she she hates this fact she hates the fact that she's actually seeing something positive in Charlie Brown. Like, you know, oh, Charlie Brown is actually smart. Wait, did I just say that? This is a very tender moment between her and the little red hair. Wait, is that actually a thought? That's that thought in my brain? Oh, Charlie Brown won this one. It's getting this award for a perfect score. And she's wearing his T-shirt. And she's embarrassed over it. So it's like she wants to give Charlie Brown props, but her own ego won't let her. Yeah. The the thing is, is that Lucy has always been a complicated character. She is. You can tell at times that she cares. She especially cares for her little brother. Mm. Um, but also she is a bit of a bully. Mm. And, you know, there is a, there is a bit of Miss Piggy in her. Mm. In that sense. And I'm, I want to just be like, okay, it's another adventure girl, but it's really not because of the lines she sometimes has to say. Yeah. I mean, the like I said, the you're a loser, Charlie Brown. You're a, you're you have a textbook failure face. Like she purposely puts Charlie Brown down even when she doesn't need to. Yeah. And of course, uh, we we begin it as a as a as a mid credit scene, the football, because it's peanuts. It's Charlie Brown. You cannot do a special of Charlie Brown without that gag. So yeah, she says, you know, after everything that happened today, after everything that's happened in the last year, I will not pull the football. I will let you kick it, and you will have your moment. And of course. She pulls it away at the last second, like she always does, because, yes, Charlie Brown, you are kind. Yes, you are a good friend, but you're also gullible. Ouch. Yeah. So, like, there are, again, in this movie, there are times where Lucy 
really wants to give Charlie Brown his props, but she just cannot do it. She cannot bring herself to say something positive or do something positive for Charlie Brown. Sorry, I I didn't really have much more to add to that. Yeah. So, I mean, like I said, the, the movie does so much to... This movie does so much right by the franchise. And like I said, there was a lot of worry in this movie that it was going to do like other movies, like, again, some of the Dr. Seuss movies or some of the other adaptations where it's modernizing the story, modernizing the character designs, or in some way not be true to the source material. This movie does everything it can, in some cases a little too much, to be faithful to the original comic strip, or at least the spirit of the original comic strip, and the spirit of the original specials. And there was plans to do a sequel. In fact, that sequel was supposed to come out this year. But then Disney bought 20th Century Fox... Disney shut down Blue Sky Studios. The sequel never happened. Apparently, there is a CG sequel planned somewhere. I don't know what studio picked up the rights after after Disney closed down Blue Sky. Maybe it's Apple. Who knows? But somewhere, someone is still wanting to do a sequel to this movie. I don't know if that will ever happen. Yeah, I think I think it works so well because of the creatives behind the scenes. Mm. And unless they're involved, at least, you know, in the. The writers and uh, the director and stuff, I think, really understood the property. Mm -hmm. And the spirit of. Peanuts as a concept i don't i don't know who else is around i mean they were working with members of the schultz family so Mm -hmm. that may have helped Mm -hmm. but i i don't really know who uh, who all is around to to keep that going And make sure that they're going to respect the intent. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's just a matter of can can you get the tone right? I thought the tone was right on this. If I had a criticism, it didn't have that kind of bittersweetness that the the original specials had Mm. there was always kind of that like tug your heartstrings bit that the ones we grew up with had Mm. and i'm not i'm not saying like everything hasn't made me cry or anything but there there was kind of a, a mild bit of emotional core that i think was missing from this I liked the other parts of it. Don't get me wrong. But I also think the 
plot was a little thin. And I don't know how else to really explain myself on that one. Like I said, it's very simple. Like, it feels like the World War One Flying Ace parts was added in just to beef this up to a 90-minute movie. Because, like I said, the World War One Flying Ace parts takes up about a half an hour of this movie. And the other hour is just Charlie Brown and his antics and trying to get up the courage to talk to the little red-haired girl. Yeah. So you divide those two up and you have two regular Peanuts TV specials. Which is fine. It, you, I will, I will agree. There's, there, there's that melancholiness that the that some of the older specials have that this didn't have, and I think they wanted to avoid that to try to keep it more cheery. And like I said, it, it might have done a disservice to it, but everything else, this is just straight. Charles Schultz, Charlie Brown, Peanuts, goodness. Yeah, and I, I mean, overall, I did like it. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I kind of wish it had a slightly meatier plot, and I wish it had a bit more of an emotional core to it. Mm. So, does it have the magic? I I think there's some magic here. Not as much as some of the ones we've looked at recently. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was much better than I expected it to be. I was expecting to be very disappointed, and instead I was pleasantly surprised. I will say it has the magic. Like I said, it, it feels like a Peanuts special. It feels like a Peanuts movie. It hits all of the beats for better or worse. Like it, it it feels like the people who made this movie understood these characters and understood what these characters were about and understood these characters and what needed to do and did not, you know, did not try to change too much away from the spirit of these characters. And I could see where you're coming from because there has been so many of these kind of adaptations where, and I mentioned before, you're modernizing the designs or changing the tone to fit a more epic story. And for Peanuts, you don't need an epic story because these are just kids in their neighborhood. So that's one thing I did enjoy. It's not like, you know, Peabody and Sherman, where you change so much of the, of, of the tone. Or, again, some of the Dr. Seuss uh, feature films that change a lot of the tone or change a lot of the designs up. This stayed true to Peanuts, at least to me, and was was a good movie. I don't know. And maybe it was because the Schultz family was involved. But I don't know what else you could do that could be even more faithful that at least in my opinion that's just my opinion so kiki let's move on to next week kiki how would you like i know we've already finished our retrospective 
But how would you fancy one more ride in the TARDIS before the year is out? I think that would be quite lovely. Because what's Christmas without Doctor Who? And we're getting a brand new Doctor Who Christmas special this year. And it's supposed to be the first adventure of a brand new Doctor. And we've only had that one other time. So before we say hello to a brand new Doctor in Chudikatwa in this brand new Christmas special, we are going to go back to the first time we've had a brand new Doctor in the Christmas special. The first full adventure for David Tennant's 10th Doctor. We are going to go back to the Christmas Invasion. My name is Kiki Cannon, podcast host. <laughs> yes, I know who you are. <laughs> uh, so yeah, we're going to go back to David Tennant's first full adventure as the Doctor. As we say goodbye to him for a second time, we go back to where we said hello to him. And going back to that, and uh, yeah. Because again, it's not Christmas without Doctor Who, I'm sorry. So one more trip in the TARDIS before the year is out. Christmas Invasion next week, and we'll talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye. We are on the X, formerly known as Twitter, at Rewatch the Magic. And new episodes are available every week at rewatchingthemagic.podbean.com. Remember, the magic is for everyone. It only stops if you let it. Don't let the magic stop here. Join our conversations on Facebook, Instagram, and threads at Rewatching the Magic. Podcasts are fun. But there's work to be done. We encourage you to get involved. Here are some organizations we support. The American Civil Liberties Union fights for the constitutional rights of all Americans. Find them at aclu.org. The National Network of Abortion Funds helps people find access to safe abortion services. Their site is abortionfunds.org. The Trevor Project provides a 24-7 crisis helpline for LGBTQ youth and education services for schools on LGBTQ issues. They can be found at thetrevorproject.org. Or find a way to help in your area.